this morning, all of us are coming in, into the room and we're longing for something. Maybe we're longing for joy. We're longing for life. We're longing for hope. We're longing for meaning. And the psalmist reminds us this morning in Psalm 27, four. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, that we find those things that we're longing for, the joy, the life, the peace, the meaning, and the presence of God. So we're gathered here this morning to enjoy the presence of God together and worship him. So let's stand and sing together. Sing this with me. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. It's good news this morning.
morning we get to celebrate together baptism. It's one of my favorite things because it is evidence of life change. And it's evidence that God is working among us. So this morning, Jack Bagley is being baptized. And baptism doesn't do anything magical. But it's a public confession that Jack wants to follow the way of Jesus. And it's a symbol. So Jack is identifying with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus as he goes down in the water and he comes back up. Uh, So I'm excited. And at Fellowship, we celebrate when someone's baptized. So when he comes out of the water, don't hold back, okay? Uh, So I'm going to pass it over to his dad, Matt, who's going to baptize him this morning. Good morning, church family. I'm a proud daddy this morning. Want to uh, introduce you. For those of you who haven't met, this is Jack. And uh, Jack came to us a couple of months ago, wanted to, uh, I think he wants some pool toys, (laughs) wanted uh, to talk about accepting Jesus into his heart. The Holy Spirit had been working on him had been prompting him and uh, whispering in his ear, and uh, he came and we started a discussion. Uh, And then he came to us about a month ago and said, uh, well, now that I have Jesus in my heart, we should be letting people know. And I heard that I'm supposed to get baptized, and that way I can be obedient to Jesus and make sure everybody knows that I'm a Christian. And uh, we're we're very proud of of him. We're very proud of what the Holy Spirit is doing in his heart and his, uh, his obedience to that with very little involvement from, from us. So, Jack, have you accepted Jesus in your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. Well, it's based on that profession of faith that I baptize you, my son, but my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You wanna cover your nose? Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> you can stand with us. I'm gonna sing. Praise the Lord. His mercy is Y'all can have a seat. Man, I think I get more and more emotional every time we uh, celebrate a baptism. Isn't that incredible? I just love that. I love y'all's response. Hey, I've got some more great news to share with y'all that we'd love to celebrate this morning. One of our global workers who's working in Western Africa, and to be honest, in a very difficult uh, and dangerous place, and I'm not sharing the exact country that he's at on purpose. But about a year ago, he had an opportunity. Uh, 
he was invited to go to this prison and you can imagine what the conditions would be like in an impoverished nation, uh, the prison system. But he had an opportunity to go there and begin a prison ministry. And, and what they do is they, they have this, this ministry model. It's called Creation to Christ. And it's about 40 different stories that walks people through, through the Bible and gives them a chance to interact with the Word of God. So every week he would go with a group of people and they present another story that led up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just this last week, he sent me this picture that I'd love to share with y'all this morning. Not that one. <laughs> this one right here. And what we have is a picture of somebody being baptized and not just somebody getting baptized, but they had 39 people give their life to the Lord. <laughs> 38 of them were baptized, and you might go, man, what happened to the other one? Well, he's actually released from the prison too soon. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't wait around. But 38 people were baptized. And just as Jimmy was saying that this is a public display that they've given their life to Christ, and the, the, the culture that they come from, this is a massive deal because they could be signing their death sentence, literal death sentence, as they make this public profession of faith. And what, what's so interesting is um, uh, a couple years ago, I met with this global worker and a college student who was praying and thinking about going into missions. And this global worker gave some of the best advice because this college student wanted to know, like, how does he get onto the field? What does he, what does he do? And this was the advice he says, you know what you do? He goes, you take your next step of obedience, whatever God placed before you, just take your next step of obedience. And a lot of times we try to make Christianity this, this mysterious thing, and I think all of us wanna know what is, you know what is God's will for our life? What are we supposed to do? God, reveal it to me, God, reveal it to me. And, and you know what he did is he just, he went to this country, he found a need, and he stepped in there. And he just took his next step of obedience. And what would have happened if he never stepped into that prison? If he just said, somebody else will do it. Hey, fellowship, we actually have a really big need here. We need 60 of y'all to step out and help out in our early childhood ministry. We have a huge gap. From birth to pre-K, we need y'all to come in and to love on our, on our kids, to give their parents an opportunity to come and to worship here. Is God gonna do something great through that? I have no idea. But he's asking some of you just to take the next step of obedience and say, you know what? I could do that. I could do that, I could step in. I've got some love to share. I got some time to serve. And so we're asking you, Gretchen is gonna be out there in the information booth, and we're just asking you to take a step of obedience and just come here, especially during the summer, and serve with some of our kids. Hey, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much that we have an opportunity to share in the celebration of a baptism this morning. 
God, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity to share in the celebration of 39 new brothers in Christ who in a very difficult place have given their lives over to you. God, I pray that we would just be a group of people that whatever it is that God is calling us to do, that we just take the next step of obedience. God, that's what it means to live by faith, just trusting in you. God, may we just focus in today that you say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. May we truly understand what that means. Amen. Y'all can stand with us. We've been walking through this series of statements by Jesus. He says, I am. Each statement begins with I am. And when Jesus says I am, he's not just saying it like I would say I am. He is making a claim on who he is. That he is the same God that, that we see in the Old Testament who brought the people out in the Exodus, who spoke to Moses and said, I am and I will be who I will be. That's the same God that Jesus claims to be. It's a mystery the incarnate God in Jesus Christ that we celebrate this morning. So as we sing this song, I want you to keep that in mind, that we are singing to the same God who rescued the people from the Exodus, who brought the people into the land, who built up the nation of Israel, who dwelled in the temple. He came to dwell with us. So that's what we sing and worship this morning. So let's sing together. of the dawn I am spoken to existence every star and every man I am I am in the dark and empty land I am in our hunger and our thirst I am as we wander in the wilderness and do not understand I am I am Oh Jesus Savior and our King Holy, holy, holy we sing Oh Jesus Vector of our faith, all creation bows in your name. King of open flesh, I am. In your presence now we stand, I am. The holiest of hopes came to dwell in humbleness. Sing to it. 
This is from John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we get to come before you, that you made a way for us to know you. I pray that today that we could allow ourselves to be transformed by your word and by the renewing of our minds, that we would have open minds to what you want to tell us and that you would speak through Garland. So thank you for this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, grab a seat. How many of you went last night? I'm assuming the 10.30 will be fuller of those that went last night because the night is a little early for that late night. Um, I'm Garland, going to be with you uh, as always. Um, It's not really a secret, I wouldn't say, but one of the biggest objections to Christianity, one of the biggest objections to the church and Christianity goes something like this. The objection sounds like this. I object to Christianity because it's just so exclusive. Like Christians are always saying that, that they have the truth, that they know the way to God and everybody else is wrong. They make outrageously exclusive religious claims. And, and maybe worse, it's not just that Christians make exclusive religious claims. Christians also come out and they make, they make exclusive moral claims. They tell us, how we should live and what we can do with our body and who we can love and who we can sleep with and all of these rules that Christians are always enforcing on their people. And I think for many in our culture, this is not just objectionable, it's not merely off-putting, it can be seen as flat-out dangerous. I think it's expressed, this sentiment is expressed in American author Neil Donald Walsh. Hear his, hear his sentiment here, I'll just, I'll just let you hear it. He says, nothing has done more to separate and divide human beings from one another, than exclusivist, organized religion. It's dangerous. Making these kinds of, we have the truth, everyone else is wrong kinds of statements. It's dangerous. It's divisive. It leads to fundamentalism and radicalism. I think it's expressed in these bumper stickers that we see all over, uh, we see them even in our city, And I think the sentiment goes something like this. If those religious types, those exclusivist types, could just set aside all of their claims to have the right truth and the truth, all that dogma and doctrine, we could finally get along. And maybe you're here this morning, and these have been some of the objections that that you've had. Maybe these are some of the issues that, that you've had. Maybe you know somebody. And this is one of the things that just kind of grates on them when they think about Christianity. It's so exclusive, both religiously and morally. 
we're gonna have to come face to face with the I am statement. We just heard it read of Jesus this morning. Jesus says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one can come to God the Father except through me. And for many of us, we hear these words. And for our culture, we see these words and we go, it's dangerous. So we're gonna have to look this morning at Jesus as the the way to God, the one that gives us access, takes us all the way into knowing God. And we're gonna go kind of walk through this as our outline. We're gonna deal with the objection. Jesus, the way to God. We're gonna first look at, the, at him as the exclusive way, then the personal way, then the hard way, and lastly, the radically inclusive way. Jesus, the way to God, the exclusive way, the personal way, the hard way, and the inclusive way. If you've got your Bibles, open them up with me. John 14, let's get down to it here. First, I'd like to do this. I would like to take a few minutes here and, and just make a couple of points of response to that objection, okay? It's, it's, it's very clear. Like, there's no way around it. No matter how we slice it, Christians in the room, this is an exclusive statement, is it not? No matter how we look at it, this is exclusive. I am the way and the truth and the life. And for many people, this is really off-putting. So if that's you in the room, or maybe you know somebody that for them this is off-putting or dangerous. Let me give a, a couple minutes of response, and let me, let me ask you, my skeptical friends in the room, let me ask you to, with an open mind, doubt your doubts, or with an open mind, have, apply the same skepticism to your skepticism that you do to Jesus or Christians. Just take a moment. I'm just gonna take a few minutes here, and I'm gonna invite you into a couple of thought experiments, okay? I wanna do a couple thought of experiments to answer this question. Is Christianity, or the religious types, is Christianity alone and that it makes, and that it makes exclusive claims? Is Christianity alone? Are religions alone in that they make exclusive claims, both religiously and, morali and, and morally? Two thought experiments. The first one, I'll take you back to the 90s to do it, okay? This is Oprah, okay? This is back when she ruled and reigned in the 90s. She was everywhere, and, and many of you uh, are very familiar with Oprah. Uh, this is a picture from Oprah back in the 90s. And uh, back in the 90s, there's a, there's, a, there's a dialogue that Oprah had with one of the audience members in her show, the Oprah Winfrey Show. And you can go look it up if you want to. And here's how the dialogue essentially went. Uh, the, the, the woman was clearly representing a Christian view. She was even quoting the passage that we're looking at this morning. And Oprah's response to her is a very familiar response to many in our culture. She said, sure. Jesus is who you call God, but there are many paths to get to what you call God. Somebody else might call it something else, but all these paths lead essentially to the same place. And I'm gonna paraphrase her, and I'm gonna paraphrase what I hear often in our world, and I'm gonna do it right here. Here's the kind of claim I regularly hear. Exclusive religious claims. This sounds like the American author, does it not? Donna Walsh. Exclusive religious claims are at best off-putting and at worst dangerous, and therefore we need to be careful with them, or worse yet, we should keep them away from the public square, at least a fundamentalism. We've heard sentiments like this, have we not, in our culture? Now, don't respond with John 14, 6 yet. With an open mind, I just want to ask all of us in the room, what is inconsistent with the logic of this statement? Don't, don't give me John 14, 6. What is off with this logic in this statement? If we were in a classroom setting or across the table, we would dialogue about this, but there's too many of you to do that, so I have to tell you. But just take a moment. 
What's inconsistent logically with this statement? If you think about it, the person who is saying, your exclusive religious claims should not be allowed, only my inclusive religious claims should be allowed, are they not in and of themselves making an exclusive religious claim? Are they not? They're saying, my way to God, a way of many paths, is the way, and it should be included. Your way, excluded. They're doing the very same thing that the religious type is doing. Tim Keller will say it better than me, so I'll just quote him. He says it this way. He says, skeptics believe that any exclusive claims to a superior knowledge of spiritual reality cannot be true. But this objection is itself an exclusive religious belief. Do you see that? Just with an open mind, I'm gonna ask you, you need to doubt your doubts. All of us, the Christian and the pluralist, the one who thinks there's many paths to God, all of us are making exclusive statements about the way to God. We're making exclusive statements about the way things are, about what is true. The Christian does it, the pluralist does it, the naturalist does it, the atheist does it, the Buddhist does it, the Muslim does it. We're all making exclusive religious claims, but you may say, okay, fine. All the doctrine, that's fine. All those little statements about God, I'm not so concerned with that. It's that Christians make exclusive moral claims. They tell me how I should live and who I can love and what I can do with my body, what I can, how I'm supposed to give my money. I don't like that. Thought experiment number two, lean in with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two people, suppose. By the way, all good Thought experiments begin with the word suppose. Suppose, okay, two men, I'm just picking two men just for no other reason, just two men, they're both in their 40s. One man is on, uh, he is on a board of directors for a progressive LGBTQ uh, a, a, a political action board. And he affirms, he espouses a, a homosexual expression of marriage should be allowed and, and should be uh, legislated in, in our country, okay? The other mid-40s man, he's on an elder board of a conservative church, and he thinks that heterosexual marriage should be legislated in our country, okay? Now suppose both of these two men have a change of opinion. Say the person on the progressive board, he has a religious experience and says, you know, I've come to, I've come to accept that I think that the heterosexual definition of marriage is, is the preferred way. I've had this religious experience, I can't explain it, but I've changed my position. And the elder at the conservative church has a change of perspective. Maybe, they, maybe their son or daughter has come out gay or lesbian. They say, I, mean, I no longer affirm what I used to affirm. Now I affirm that a homosexual position is the way to go. Okay. Both men, as they approach their, their two boards, their two organizations, their two communities, they very well may receive sympathy from both communities. They may even receive a listening ear from both communities. But eventually, both are gonna be asked to either suppress their newfound understanding of marriage and sexuality, or else they'll be asked to leave the boards. Or they might even just choose to opt out themselves. I can't be on this board anymore. Hear me, hear me. For a community to set standards of behavior and beliefs within that community is not intolerant, and it is not unloving. It's the nature of communities. Yet, one of those boards has a reputation of being very tolerant, and the other has a reputation of being very intolerant. Yet both are making exclusive moral claims, are they not? Both are telling their people, this is how we live within our community. May I ask you and me, 
we need to push past this notion that it's just Christians or the exclusivist religious types making exclusive claims. We all are. And we have to be honest enough with our doubts and honest enough with our concerns and our objections to, to see that. Now, if you're here and you're saying, man, I still got some concerns, I still got some doubts, I don't know about this Jesus thing, you're in the right place. I hope that this is a safe place for you to express those concerns, express those doubts. Welcome. We would love to process those with you and alongside of you. We'd love to do that. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going, I just wanna learn more about how to engage our culture, this postmodern world that we find ourselves in. I wanna know how to talk to people and share the gospel. You're in luck. Starting next Sunday, right in the classroom, right through those doors, we're gonna spend four weeks, we're gonna have a four-week workshop on what does it look like to share the gospel, to share the good news in a postmodern, post-Christian culture like we find ourselves in. And here's what I'd love. I would love to fill up that classroom with people in our church that wanna go into your neighborhood, your workplace, the gym you go to, your hobbies, whatever it looks like, that we might be able to be effectively share Jesus there. It's part of our Discover series, four-week workshop, and you can sign up. You can sign up on Fellowship News. There's the little thingy, and what do you call those? QR codes, and uh, you can do that uh, at your leisure. So we have to deal with the objection just for a moment. Now, what are the particulars of this passage? Let's look at the passage, John 14. Okay, what do I mean by the personal way? This is what we call the upper room discourse, John 14 to 16. If you have a red letter Bible, what you'll see is uh, most of this is gonna be red letter. This is Jesus on his final night with his disciples, giving them instruction because he knows that his time is limited. What would you say? If you only had a few hours left with some of your best friends, what would you say to them in those final few hours? And Jesus is gonna make some really dramatic statements in the upper room discourse, John 14 to 16, and perhaps nothing more dramatic than his insistence that he is making a way for you and for me, for his followers to have intimacy, relationship, connection, and closeness with the creator of the universe. I mean, it's a dramatic statement. We're familiar with the first part of this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, but notice the language that Jesus uses. He's talking about how human beings get access to God. He says it over and over again. That's how you know the Father. If you really know me, you'll know my Father. And from now on, what, with, with what I'm accomplishing this night, you will know him and you'll see him. Now, Philip's gonna make a really instructive request of Jesus. Philip is tracking. Jesus says, you were created for intimacy with the Father and I'm making a way for you to go all the way in to commune with the divine. And Philip's like, I mean, that's pretty cool. That's a big deal, Jesus. All right, Lord, it, that's, that's wow. Like, show us God then. Show us the Father. That'll be enough. That's like a lot of small thing, right? Hey, just show us God. It's fine. I got a small request. Show us God, that'll be no big deal, okay? Show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And I think Philip is putting his finger on something that every single human being desires, Every religious system, spiritual ideology, and all of us crave it. We have this desire to be in touch with something bigger than us, to reach out and commune with the divine, to commune with the one who's created things. And some people call it to be in touch with the cosmos or in touch with the universe or to reach out and know that we are communing with the gods or with the divine. And Philip has his finger on it. He says, 
We, that's what we need. We all crave it. To know that we, we don't, we're not just alone floating on a space drop. There's something bigger. But look at Jesus' insistence. Notice what he doesn't say. Jesus hadn't said, hey, guys, I have found the way to know about God, or there's a book that tells you to know about God, or here's a set of precepts to learn something about God, or here's a set of practices that you can impress God. No, 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 no. He doesn't point over here to the way and say, I found the way. Go follow it. He says, he makes it personal. He says, I am the way. I'm the one who takes you all the way in. And in so doing, Jesus has distinguished himself from every other religious and spiritual leader or guru throughout all of human history. See, every religious system or spiritual ideology is ultimately human saying, I found the way over here. And it's almost always either a book, sacred book, or a set of principles, or a set of beliefs, or a set of doctrines about God. Here's the way to know about God or the way to impress God. It's not what Jesus says. He says, I am the way that you can know God, not just know about God, not just know how to impress God, but know the Father. And many Christians that I talk to, many Christians that I talk to, we essentially fall into the same trap that, of what religions are falling into. We came to the church or we came to Jesus because we are looking for somebody to tell us about God, tell us doctrines about God, and we'll even be defensive over those doctrines, or they tell us how we can impress God, how we can be on God's good side so God can give us the happy, good, blessed, healthy life. And Jesus says none of that is enough. It's not enough to know about God, even the right things about God. It's not enough to do, do the right things for God. It's not enough. Hear me, why? Not enough. You can't have a relationship with dogma. You can't have intimacy with a set of doctrines. You can't have relationship with a set of behaviors. And Jesus said, no, I've take, I'm come to take you all the way in to see the Father, to know the Father. This is what the entire Upper Room Discourse is gonna be about. He's gonna talk about where I go. We're gonna come back to it. I'm gonna prepare a place for you that you may be with me. Why is it so important to be with Jesus just a few verses later? He's gonna say, when I live, when you see me in my resurrection, you will live. And on that day, when you see me alive, you will realize that I am in my Father. And you are in me, and I am in you. The same intimacy, the same communion, the same connection that I have with the Father, I'm offering it to you, I'm taking you all the way in. If you have my commands and keep them, You'll, have, you'll experience the love of the Father. He'll love you and he'll show himself to you just as I love you and show myself to you. To know power, but know it personally. To commune with the creator, but to do so with intimacy. I think deep down is what so many of us crave. I think it's why we're like attracted to superhero movies. If you ever think about it, like why we long for these superhero stories, think about it. We're almost always maximizing somebody who's powerful, but also personal. We invent these kinds of things. Somebody who's a rescuer and powerful, but also somebody that I can be close to. But if you think about it with our superheroes, even with our superheroes, we still fall into one of those two ditches. It's hard to find them both together. Let's think about Superman for a minute, okay? 
Superman is all power. He's alien. He's foreign. He's different. Even when he looks like us and acts like us, it's largely a facade. He's always in disguise. He's all power, and we sure hope he's good, but he's hard to relate to in that sense because he's alien. But Iron Man, on the other hand, he's all personal. You think about it. I mean, he's just like you and I. In fact, he's kind of worse. And I think you and I are like, if I could get a couple hours with that suit, I could do the very same things that Iron Man is doing. Like, I could do all that stuff. He's all personal, no power. Now, just, just so I know who I'm talking to, where are my Superman fans in the room? Any Superman fans? That's what I thought. Just a handful of you. Just not that many. What about Iron Man? Not a lot of excitement for Iron Man. Sp- Spider-Man? Who am I missing? That's like a big deal. How many of you just don't care? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought. More of you just don't even care. That's what I thought. Like, just move along. I don't even like this point. Um, we crave to connect, to connect with the creator. And Jesus says, I've come to take you all the way in. All the way in. He makes it relational. He invites us to intimacy with the Father. And because it's relational, it's necessarily demanding. That's the nature of relationships. They are necessarily demanding. And the more intimate the relationship, the more demanding the request. I've had the privilege of officiating many weddings of people in our church and attending many weddings of people in our church. And here's what I've noticed. Whenever you're at a wedding, the two people that are getting married if you really think about it, they make some pretty startling demands of each other, do they not? They say things like, you will forsake all others and be faithful to me even if I get sick and even if I don't look the same and even if I change, even if I don't reciprocate, you're gonna be faithful to me till death. 50, 60 years. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, that is what we signed up for, isn't it? I've never had anybody at a wedding, though, that I was officiating or attending, I've never had somebody in the, in, in the, in the pews sitting there go, it's at a barn now, I guess, so kind of in the chairs in the barn. I've never had anybody at a wedding go, um, wait, well, hold on, hold on, wait, wait. That's pretty demanding. It's pretty exclusive. I can't, this is ridiculous. Don't sign, don't do it. Can you believe what, they're, what she's asking of you? Why do, we not, why do we not stand up and object? It's outrageous, the demands. Why don't we object? Because we know that that's the nature of intimacy and relationship. It's necessarily demanding. We also know something secret, don't we? We know that when you found an object of your love, you found somebody that can truly respond to and be vulnerable with you and know you and love you and welcome you and accept you, that you don't make those promises out of obligation, but out of delight, Right? And we see it when we're there, so we don't object. Jesus can make startling demands. I am the way, follow me. Lose your life for me and you'll find it. These kinds of demands. He can say, I'm the truth, I am the life. You forsake all other sources of life and you find it in me because he's taken us all the way into personal knowing of the Father, to intimacy, to relationship, to see him. The exclusive way personal way. Now, what do I mean by the hard way? I'm going to give you the, the narrative that Jesus presupposes as he sits with these men on, the, on this his final night with them. 
here's the, the big story of the Bible, something like this. That God's created humanity to experience relationship face-to-face with him, to walk with him and commune with him. It's what you were designed for. It's what you were wired for, to be made in his image, to experience the blessing of that relationship and take it out to the rest of the world. But we make it three pages before humans, instead of reciprocating, said, no, no, no. We can find happiness on our own. We can define truth for ourselves. We'll take power into our own hands. We can be autonomous. We don't need you. What we were wired for, we're all estranged from. We've been alienated because of our brokenness, and it's, it's led to a whole host of issues and problems, not just in our own personal lives, but in our culture and in our society. We call that sin, by the way. And the story of the Bible is what is God gonna do? What's he gonna do about it? How's he gonna respond? And what we see consistently as the pages of scripture unfold for us is that the God of the Bible is trying to reconcile. He's pressing into rescue what's been broken in the fall. And Jesus knows this, and here he comes this final night. This is the night after all, the Passover night where the lambs are sacrificed to remember that God made a way to be with his people. And on this night, Jesus says something he's been saying over and over again in his ministry. He's been telling them for years now that I have a road that I must walk. I have a way that I must go. It's gonna be a difficult road. It's gonna be a cross-shaped road. And he continues to say it this night. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow now. But you will. Where I am going, even this night, I am going the road of the cross. That's where I'm going. All this language of Jesus going somewhere, he has in mind, I'm going this hard road of the cross. Look at Peter. I love Peter. He goes, well, I'll come with you. I mean, I'll even lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus' response will be, you don't even know what you're asking. In fact, while I walk this road tonight, you will deny me three times. And then Jesus, he continues. He says, I'm going there. I'm walking this road of the cross that I might make a way for you to go all the way in to be reconciled to the Father. And you'll know it when I come back that it's happened. We're gonna come back to that. You'll know it, but the way that I'm going, the, the place where I am going, you know where I'm going. I've, been told you, I've told you over and over that I must walk the hard road of the cross. Within a few hours, he'll lead them to a garden where he will be betrayed, where he will be Uh, handed over and falsely accused, falsely tried, falsely convicted, beaten, later led up the hill called Golgotha, have his arms stretched out, nailed into a cross, and lifted up among common criminals. And there he will speak these words, it is accomplished. I've walked the hard road. This is what I was sent to do. And he bows his head and he gives up his spirit the death of Jesus, what he accomplishes for us on the cross, it takes us all the way in. It reconciles us to God. But hear me, nobody knew it. Nobody standing at the foot of the cross would have thought, this is it. This is the great plan. But remember what Jesus said? We celebrated it last week. He said, but When I come back, I will come back to you. And when I do, you can know that you will be with me where I am. 
few verses later, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come back, and when I live, you will live. The resurrection is like the billboard, the spotlight. It declares from the mountaintops that our reconciliation is secure in him. He takes us all the way in. Our our access to the Father, it's secure in his death and his resurrection. Because that's why he says, from now on, you will know him and see him. I am the way to take you all the way in. Matthew's gospel ends with Jesus saying, I'm gonna be with you. You'll have that intimacy with me wherever you go. Now, just, just hear me. Wherever you go, whatever you face, whatever the circumstance, no matter how difficult it may seem, in your, temp- in your battle with sin, in your temptation, in the circumstances that just seem to pile up over you, in your parenting, in your marriage, on the weekends, here in this building, and out there. He says, I'm with you always. I have not left you as an orphan. I'm with you always. That kind of confidence, that kind of hope, that kind of daily renewal to know, though my sins are many, his mercy is more, he's with me. When you even stare down death hand in hand with the Father, because he walked the hard way, we have been taken all the way in Intimacy with the Father. Now, lastly, the, the inclusive way. The radically inclusive way. Think about it. This is really amazing. If our security of relationship with the Father, if it was accomplished because of Jesus walking the hard road for us, if it was accomplished because of Jesus' grace poured out over us, if it was accomplished because Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, if it was accomplished because of his merit and not ours, not because we were rich or smart or moral or Christian or came from a good household or were raised right or did all the things right or go to church or read our Bibles or are beautiful or well-connected or vote the right way, no. If it's accomplished based on his merit, And that means the ground is level. None of us have the VIP pass. I go to church, always have. Not them. That's that's how I get in. No. Our pass is a cross-shaped pass. And because of that, that means it's radically open to even pagan Gentiles. Michael Byrd, reflecting on this, sums it up so well. He says, Jesus is not merely one option on our religious smorgasbord. He's unique, unprecedented, cosmically singular. He is not a way up the mountain. He made the mountain in the first place. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the way for all people, broken people, by the way, like me, people who, with, whose past and whose story, a lot of parts I wish, I, I, would, I, I would just go hide in shame but he made a way for people like me and you and whosoever will believe in him. I love this last line. John, the gospel writer, bids us believe the exclusive claims of the all-inclusive Savior. There's nobody like Jesus. 
There's no other claims like this. So here's four things as we close real fast. Do you know him? Not just know about him. Not just do stuff for him. Do you know him? Do you really know him? You have intimacy, you have a relationship with the Father because of Jesus. Number two, how do you know? How do you know? Do you talk to him? Do you crave his words? Are you desperate to have that interaction? My wife and I are off. We, we have to get to the couch and we have to be eye to eye and talking. Are you like that? Or is there distance? Do you allow him to make demands on you? How do you, how do you know? Do you talk to him? Do you crave his words? Number three, when somebody knows your story all the way through, really knows you, even your bad, but still delights in you, our response oftentimes is just an overflow of gratitude. Like, wow, I can't believe you still love me. Do you overflow with gratitude? Do you go, wow, I can't believe you would do this. You would make a way for me all the way in. Like when we sing in here, do you overflow with gratitude? Do you both want to shout and weep with gratitude? Number four, do you look at those who struggle or those on the outside or those that disagree with you as the enemy, as the other? They could never be in here, not uh it might indicate you've missed that the way in was not based on your merit, but on his. We look, we look down our nose at no one because of the all-inclusiveness of our exclusive Savior make a way for even us. Isn't that cool? He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Come, have relationship with the Father. Let's pray. Well, Father, What an amazing story that the scriptures tell. You didn't leave us in our brokenness, leave us in our sin, leave us in our mess, but the story of the Bible is you chasing us down in your grace and in your mercy that you might reconcile us back to you. And in Jesus, his death, and in his resurrection, the way is secure. So right now, we wanna overflow with gratitude back to you, our King. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way and taking us all the way in. May we live in the hope and the confidence of that every day, and we ask us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together. my joy, my righteousness.
this morning is that he didn't take us part of the way. He didn't take us halfway. He took us all the way into the presence of God. The, Paul picks up this idea in Colossians for, verse, chapter 1, verse 19, and he says, for God was pleased 
to have his fullness dwell in him, that the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. It wasn't part, but all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This morning, we have a strong and perfect plea before the throne of God that Jesus died for us and that he rose again so that we might live. So let's sing together this song and celebrate what he did for us. Sing with me. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, perfect the great high priest lives in his My name is great his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bend me hands No tongue can bend me
grateful this morning. I'm grateful to Jesus that he made a way for us to know the Father, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you uh, want to take communion, if you want prayer, there's someone who would love to pray with you. If you're, if you're wondering, like, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, I don't know about these exclusivist claims, someone would love to talk to you if you go out these doors on my left to your right and up the stairs right there, we have a prayer room where you can do all those things. I'm, I'm so glad that you're here this morning and fellowship. Uh, my prayer for all of us is that we would follow the way of Jesus this week and for the rest of our lives, that we would follow the way of the cross and trust him. You guys are dismissed.